Good afternoon, St. Paul's. It's good to be with you. Uh, so if you've been here the last three weeks, you know that we have been making our way through the book of James. Uh, we talked about facing trials. We've talked about uh, the wisdom that God offers us in terms of how he uh, levels the playing field when it comes to economic classes. Uh, we, last week, we talked about how God is truly good in spite of what the world might sometimes indicate or, or appear. Um, and this week, we've got a pretty good-sized passage that we're going to be looking at with some very practical wisdom. James is very practical. He's going to give us some more very practical wisdom. It's pretty good-sized, so I don't want to waste any time. We're just going to dive right in. Uh, but before we do, let's bow our heads say a quick prayer. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to look at it together. And uh, God, I pray that you would, you would guide us as we read these words. I pray that you would help us not to be distracted, uh, that you would help our, our thoughts uh, just to be focused on you, uh, help us to attend to you, God, and to what your spirit is teaching us. I pray that our hearts would be able to receive uh, what it is that you want us to hear. And I just pray that you would make these words come alive, Lord. Um, we thank you uh, for this beautiful day, God, and uh, for this church, and uh, for your spirit living in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is James 1, starting in verse 19. There we go. Okay. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and, after looking, forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, so you may have noticed there that there were uh, three paragraphs. Most of our Bibles break this passage into three distinct paragraphs. And what I'm going to do is first I'm going to focus on the middle paragraph because I believe that that's really where the, the heart of this passage is. And then we're going to go and we're going to look at the surrounding ones and see how those flow out of the first one, the middle one, excuse me. So in the heart of this passage, James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In James's day, there was a problem in the church. Uh, it's, a, it's still a problem today. It will be a, a problem probably as long as the church exists before Jesus returns, which is that people were more interested in listening to the word of God than actually doing it. And human hearts are the same as they were then, now. We're all susceptible of this tendency to be hearers rather than doers. Not too long ago, I saw a video on social media that I thought was a great illustration of the absurdity of hearing but not doing. And uh, if I remember correctly, it went something like this. 
there's a teenage girl lying on a couch playing with her phone, and her dad comes over and says, uh, did you take care of that list of chores that I gave you? And she says, oh yeah, sure dad, I've, I've been working hard on it. And the dad says, well your room's still a mess, that was on the list, so what have you done? And she says, well dad, you should be really happy. Last night a few of us got together and uh, we talked about the list of chores that you gave us and we, we talked about how we felt about it and what it meant to us. And uh, he says, okay, yeah, but uh, have you done any of the list? And she says, well, Dad, I don't know why you sound upset. I mean, you should be really happy because I actually even memorized the list. And I've been waking up a little early and reciting it to myself, and I actually gave my friend Carrie a copy of the list, too, and she's memorizing it as well. So anyway, I can't remember <laughs> exactly how it ends, but you get the idea. Um, the point is that sometimes we're like that teenage girl, except it's not a list of chores, but it's the commandments of Scripture. And James says to that, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. And he adds this interesting little phrase that I think we need to pay attention to. Um, and so deceive yourselves. See, the girl in that skit really seemed to think that she was doing fine. She had convinced herself of that. Um, and I think that we do that same thing today. Um, that sometimes we think that by talking about the scriptures, by thinking about the scriptures, and by memorizing the scriptures, then we've done enough to really honor our Father. And when you watch a skit like that, you see how ridiculous that mentality is. It jumps out at you. It just seems absurd. But the thing is, it's actually easy for us to deceive ourselves in that way. A friend of mine reminded me this week that we're very good at doing that, at deceiving ourselves. Uh, we will believe lies that we tell ourselves uh, that we would never believe if other people were telling us those same lies. And this is one of the ways that we do that. We can convince ourselves that hearing the word is enough, even if we aren't doing. Now that said, uh, there's something else that we need to recognize. Because whenever scripture corrects one error, there's always a potential for us to fall into an opposite kind of error. Hearing but not doing is bad, but trying to do without hearing is also bad. In other words, James isn't saying that Bible studies are a bad thing or that sermons aren't really important. Now, we do need to hear the word in order to do it. And the metaphor that James gives us uh, helps to illustrate this. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking forgets what he looks like. So what James does is he compares the scriptures to a mirror. And what he's saying is that you need to know the scriptures in order to know yourself. Because if you don't have a mirror, you really can't know what you look like, right? Try as hard as you want. You can't see your own face uh, without a mirror. You can't pull your eyes out of your head and turn them around to check and see if you have spinach in your teeth or if your hair's a mess. You need a mirror to do that. And in the same way, we can't really know ourselves and know what we need to adjust, what we need to change, without the help of Scripture. So when we try to do the Word without listening to it or, or reading it first, it's like trying to comb our hair or shave or put on makeup without a mirror. And that doesn't work very well. So all these Bible studies, these sermons, they are important. They do matter. And notice, 
in verse 25, James says that the blessed man is one who looks intently into the perfect law. In other words, the blessed man is the one who looks carefully into the mirror of Scripture. Uh, looking intently means that he pays close attention to what's in the mirror. He studies it, maybe even memorizes it. Uh, so looking intently at the scriptures is important. But looking intently doesn't count for much unless we act on what we see in that mirror. And James says that when we hear the word, but then we don't do it, we're like someone who sees himself in a mirror, but then just walks away and forgets what he looks like. And he, the reason he says this is because the mirror of Scripture always tells us that there's things that we need to change, uh, things that we need to fix. To put it metaphorically, when we look into the mirror of Scripture and see what we look like, we're going to see messy hair, we're going to see stuff in our teeth, we're going to see a face that's splotchy with dirt that needs to be washed. And what he says is that somebody who doesn't put the word into practice is like somebody who looks in that mirror and sees their face looking like that and then just walks away. Doesn't do anything, just walks away. And the only way that you can do that is if you don't care at all about your, your appearance um, or if the moment you look at the mirror, you've just forgotten what you look like. So what James is trying to get us to see is that there is this absurdity to hearing the word but not doing the word. If you look in the mirror and you see spinach in your teeth and you just walk away without doing anything about it, there's, that's kind of crazy. That's weird. Um, I don't know about you, but if I'm out to dinner, I go into the bathroom and I see I've got food on my face or something in, the, in my teeth, I'm not going to leave the bathroom until I do something about it. So James is saying that we need to both look intently into the mirror of Scripture and then adjust ourselves according to what it reveals. We need to hear the word, but also need to do, do the word. And that's what leads to true blessing. And what's interesting to me is that what James is saying here is actually really, really similar to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, a lot of what James says is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. It's neat to see how Christ's teaching had such a direct influence on him. But the passage that I'm talking about is the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And in it, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I remember I used to sing about this song in Sunday school as a kid, so, I mean, or about this parable uh, in Sunday school as a kid, and, and so it stuck with me for years, but I never really looked really closely at this parable until just a few years ago. And I always assumed when I heard it that the foundation of rock was, you know, faith in Christ, and the foundation of sand was, I don't know, faith in another religion or faith in yourself or your good works or whatever. But and, and that's not entirely wrong. But what's interesting is when you look at the parable closely, Jesus is very clear that the difference between the foundation is, is obedience. It's obedience to his commands. Have you put the commands into practice? The foundation of rock is somebody who has actually done what Jesus says. The foundation of sand is someone who hasn't. So both 
both the people who build the house on the rock and the people who build it on the sand, they both heard Jesus' commands. It's just that only one has actually done something about them. So it's not enough to hear, blessing comes through actually doing. So James and Jesus are both, both on the same page in this respect. Now for some of us, I think this idea that obedience is necessary is a little hard to hear. Uh, maybe a little confusing, because we believe that salvation is by grace through faith. We talk about that a lot, right? Uh, that was something we talked about a lot in the series on Colossians. We believe that we're saved not on, on account of what we do, but on account of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, we have faith in Christ, and that's what rescues us, not ourselves, not our own ob obedience. And I don't want to deny that. I'm not taking that back today. I don't think James is denying that, and I don't think that Jesus denied that either. But we need to recognize that in the biblical view of faith, real faith produces works. Um, it leads to some measure of obedience. Imperfect, yes, but it's going to lead to some measure of obedience. If we say that we have faith in Jesus, but we don't put any of his words into practice, how can we say that we actually have faith? You know, if I say, I have faith in my doctor, but whenever he writes me a prescription, I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. I can't actually have much faith in my doctor. Either that or I just have a death wish. So faith and works naturally go together, which is why we can't just hear. We also need to do. So returning to that middle paragraph, there's one other side comment uh, that I'd like to, to make about uh, what he says. There's this interesting phrase, the perfect law that gives freedom. The perfect law that gives freedom. It's a very interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Because normally, we don't think of law and freedom as going together. We think of those th two things like oil and water. We think of law as saying, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And we think of freedom as saying, do what you want, right? But James sees God's law and true freedom as complementary. And uh, that's because there really is no real freedom without some kind of law. Uh, my favorite analogy for this is the analogy of the fish. Uh, the fish might try to be free by jumping out of the water. It might think, boy, I just want to get out of the water. I want to be free by getting on the land. But as soon as the fish does that, the fish is in bondage to the, to the air. Right? Because it's only going to be a few seconds, a few minutes, before the fish dies. So the fish wasn't made to be out in the open air. The fish was made to be in the water. And so really, if the fish wants to experience the great amount, greatest amount of freedom possible, it should obey the law, stay in the water. Because if it stays in the water, then it will be free to live longer and make lots of choices. And as far as fish are able to make choices, um, and so just as the law stay in the water actually increases a fish's freedom, there are laws that God has for us that also increase our freedom. And I think it's so wonderful to think that God actually cares about freedom, uh, that he actually wants us to experience the maximum amount of freedom. There's a great passage in Galatians, or a great verse, that just simply says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Just kind of funny, it sounds redundant. Just for freedom that Christ has set us free. But the point there is just that 
God genuinely cares about our freedom. He wants us to be as free as we possibly can be. He values that. And so he gives us laws in order to maximize our freedom. Okay, so we've talked about the middle paragraph in the passage. And what I want to do for the rest of today is just talk about those two surrounding paragraphs. Because those are the paragraphs that talk about some of the things that the perfect law that gives freedom tells us to do. So James has been talking about doing the word, so we should be asking, well, what does it look like to do the word? What are some of the things that we need to do? And so he gives us some practical advice about what those things are. And one of those things actually appears in both of those paragraphs. So you can see how important it is. And it has to do with our speech. In verse 19, he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then in verse 26, he says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, James is actually going to talk more about speech later, so I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on this. But what he's doing here is he is reminding us that one of the main ways that our discipleship, our commitment to Jesus, is supposed to reveal itself is in what we say and how we say it. Last week, I talked about how God has given us human beings power, right? And, and uh, that power can be used well, and it can be abused. And one of the main ways that we have power is through our speech. It's interesting to me that the Bible says that God spoke the universe into existence, right? He said, let there be light, and there was. So when God speaks, his words have creative power. They can bring something out of nothing. And our words don't have quite that much power. We can't bring something out of nothing. But because we're made in God's image, similarly, our words also have this incredible power uh, to create. And uh, they have incredible, incredible power to do good and incredible power to do, to do bad. If you tell a kid from a young age that he's worthless and he's a mistake and he's never going to amount to anything, those words have incredible negative power that can carry over not just into uh, the rest of that child's life, but into the next generation, in the generation after that. Words have this power to create scars or to create blessing that's going to carry on generationally. So our words have power, and we need to remember that. And because of that, we're told to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I want to talk a little bit about being quick to listen. Listening is a very hard thing to do well. Um, it's something I struggle to do well. Whether we're listening to the word of God or if we're listening to another person. And it's hard because it takes patience and it requires us to take our focus off of ourselves. And in some ways, I think the world that we live in right now isn't making it any easier for us to be good listeners. Uh, we live in a time where we carry around devices in our pockets that are constantly vying for our attention. Uh, now, I'm not anti-smartphone. I have one. I use it all the time. Uh, but I think we really need to be careful about how much we allow ourselves to be distracted by our phones. Because studies show that they are actually rewiring our brains. <laughs> um, I read recently that before the age of the smartphone, 
Researchers did a study on 2,000 participants and they found that the average attention span was about 12 seconds. So you have about 12 seconds before your brain starts to think about something else and you have to kind of rein it back in. But since the smartphone revolution, now it's down to eight seconds. And take this for what it's worth, but the article that I read said that goldfish are supposed to have an attention span of nine seconds. <laughs> so we had them beat before smartphones, but now if you really want somebody, if you really want someone in your house to pay attention to you, you might have better luck with your, your fish than with your, your teenager. <clears throat> and the thing is, when our attention spans are very short, it's really hard for us to listen for prolonged periods of time, uh, which is a serious problem because there are certain important concepts that can't be communicated quickly. Uh, some people like Twitter. I'm not a big fan of Twitter because <clears throat> it forces you to express everything in just 140 characters. And even though there's something to be said for brevity, like I think there is something beautiful about expressing a complex idea as quickly as possible, um, it's dangerous because people will talk about really complex, important issues like racism and police violence and violence against police and terrorism and politics over Twitter. And every comment that they make has got to be limited to this tiny, bite-sized thought. And the problem with that is life is complicated and sometimes we can't think through these issues well in just little bite-sized thoughts. And if we're going to understand the issues in our world, as well as the people who talk about those issues, we're going to have to take some time. We're going to have to attend to people. And the same is true of the Word of God. We're told not just to read the Word, but to study it and to meditate on it, to ruminate on it. And that takes time. It takes attention. So we need to cultivate our attention spans. Uh, our attention spans can be reduced by our, by our environment, and I think they have, have been, but they can also be increased. Uh, but we have to make some effort. Right? We've got to decide sometimes to shut the phone off or close the laptop and uh, just attend to the Word of God or attend to another person or attend to a book. It uh, might be hard to do, but I think attention is kind of like a muscle. Uh, it might be hard at first to attend for a long time, but you can build it up over time. Or it can atrophy as well. So. <clears throat> but it's important that we build it up because, as James says, listening is critical. Next, James says that we should be slow to speak. And uh, oops. being slow to speak doesn't mean that we don't speak. Uh, but it means that we're super careful about what we say and how we say it. Especially when we're making judgments about people. We should be very slow to do that, especially if we haven't listened first. I think it's staggering if we really start to think about how much conflict in the world, uh, at our jobs, in our churches, could be avoided if we were just quick to listen and slow to speak we withheld judgment until we had heard the whole story. And closely related to this is James' command that we should be slow to become angry. Actually, all three of these things are definitely connected. Because when we aren't quick to listen and slow to speak, we become angry people. Because when we never really listen to someone else, when all we do is talk at them, 
we're quick to cast a negative judgment. Uh, we're quick to see them as all bad. An older guy I know, he told me once that someone was following him right on his bumper, and he was really annoyed, which I don't blame him. I don't like when people do that either. And at some point, the guy who was tailing him passed by him and flipped him off, gave him the finger. And the guy I know was so angry that he followed him to a gas station, got out of the car, and just chewed him out, cursed him out in the, at the gas station. Thankfully, the conflict did not escalate beyond there. He got in the car and he left. So it turns out that the next day, this guy had a funeral to go to, the guy that I know. So he goes to the funeral, and the woman who died just happened to be this man's wife, the guy that he had chewed out the day before. And he said that he felt terrible, just awful. Because even though he didn't like the fact that this guy had tailed him and flipped him off the day before, he now knew that he had cursed out a man whose wife had just suffered this terrible illness and died. Because he knew more of the full story. And when he knew more of the full story, it wasn't so easy for him to be angry. He had been quick to get angry because he had been quick to pass judgment. And he had been quick to pass judgment because he hadn't listened. He didn't know anything about this guy's story. The only thing he knew was that the guy had tailed him and flipped him off. But when he found out more of the story, something happened. He felt empathy. Most of the time when we don't know someone's story, uh, we don't have much empathy for them. But the more that we learn, the more empathy we have, and we're less likely to be angry. And so James tells us, be slow to anger. Don't rush to judgment. Slow down. Listen. Um, I know this illustration isn't going to work for everyone, but one of my favorite TV shows of all time was the show Lost. Uh, some of you might be familiar with it. And one of the things that Lost did really, really well, uh, maybe the thing it did best, was that it created characters who were multidimensional. Uh, characters who had these very elaborate backstories. So when you met them at first, they were all stranded on an island. And, uh, and then over time, each episode would focus on an individual character. And you would find out through this, these flashbacks the things that had happened in their past. And once you found out about the, their past, you understood them better, and you understood the decisions they were making in the present day. And I cannot tell you how many times I would watch that show where there would be a character that I hated and I was so annoyed with, and then they'd give you that character's backstory and be like, oh, great, well, now I have empathy for this character. You know, now I can't be angry at them anymore the way I was before. And it's not because all of a sudden all their decisions were justified. They were still making bad decisions. They were still doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. But because I listened to their story, then I had this empathy. Then I was able to relate to them with more compassion. And the same is true in real life. You know, every person that we meet has a prologue, has a story. We don't know the whole thing. And when we're, when we're quick to listen and slow to speak, we have an opportunity to learn that story, develop that empathy, develop that compassion, and relate to them in a way that honors the Lord. Finally, uh, James emphasizes two other main ways that we're supposed to do the word of God. He says that religion that pleases God is religion that looks after orphans and widows in their distress, and also that keeps oneself from being polluted by the world. Excuse me. 
And what I want us to realize, he's going to talk about both these things more, so we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but what I want us to realize is, is how critical for James looking after those who are disadvantaged is to our faith. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Wow. This is not a secondary thing. Uh, some in the church see looking after the needs of disadvantaged people as kind of a secondary concern to spreading the, a message, or um, maybe they see it simply as a means of getting a message across. But looking after the disadvantaged for us should be a priority, and it should be something that we do as an end in itself, just because that, that is what we are called to do. That's what the Lord wants us to do. That's what he sees as pure and faultless. But I also want us to recognize that James adds that second part, that it's important to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Right? What he's saying there is that good religion has both an outward dimension and an inward dimension. It both looks to see how it can meet the needs of people out there, but it also focuses, focuses on personal holiness, too. Uh, things like, are we honoring God with our bodies, uh, with our speech, with our sexuality, with our thoughts? Both of those are important. And as human beings who tend to swing from one error to an opposite error, we need to remember that both the outward and the inward dimensions matter to God. He cares about both. So we've covered a lot today, but I'd like us to notice one last thing as I close. One of the things that we have to be careful about when we read a passage like this is we don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that we can do all these things that we're being called to do in our own strength. The gospel message is not do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. The gospel message is that God has rescued us from our sin. It's that God has done what we could not do. And what I want us to recognize is that this idea is present even in this passage that's emphasizing doing rather than just listening. There's this little phrase in there, humbly accept the word planted in you. Humbly accept the word planted in you. And what that tells us is that the power to do these things it doesn't just come from some sort of willpower within us. Um, it comes from something that God plants in us, something that he alone offers. And the way to access that is through humility. Humbly accept the word planted in you. The danger is that we try to do these things in our own strength, and then we get proud and arrogant and judgmental. But the only way to really live out our faith well is through humility. It's through humbly yielding to the spirit that God has planted in us and allowing his spirit to direct us. So don't worry. It's, it is not all on you. And the good news is that as we do that small part of humbly yielding to the Spirit, we get to experience the freedom that comes from the perfect law, the perfect law that brings freedom. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that you want us to be free. We thank you, Lord, that you want us to experience the maximum amount of freedom possible, where we are living in the fullness of who you created us to be. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us uh, laws, instructions for how we can do that. 
And God, I pray that we would be people who don't just hear, but people who do. I pray, God, that uh, you would help us to relate to one another in a way that honors you with our speech, with how we listen to each other, God. I pray that we would humbly accept the word that you have planted in us, that we would get out of the way of it so that it can grow and flourish and, and um, take deeper root. Uh, God, we, we give you thanks, Lord, uh, for, for speaking to us today, and I pray that as we uh, reflect during the next song, that anything that was, was said over the last half hour, um, anything in this passage that you want us to attend to, that you want us to focus on, uh, would leap off the page um, into, into our hearts, God, and that you would help us to, to think through it, to process it, Lord, and to be transformed. Um, help us to humbly accept that word that you have planted in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.